there's always going to be another threat. Your goal as an individual is not to be unhackable. It is to be less hackable than the person sitting next to you. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Cybersecurity Standup. I'm your host, Bronwyn Hudson, and I'm stoked today to be joined by Quinn Varco. Um, Quinn, I found you on LinkedIn and was stoked to kind of like see your profile because you have such a unique and also young background. I'm so stoked to talk to you and learn more about how you've come up in the industry and what you're up to right now. Um, I think you probably have, a lot of our listeners will have heard of you already, but just in case they haven't. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are? Yeah, sure. So when I got back from Europe, after I did like an exchange here over there, um, it be it just became something I wanted to do. And I couldn't afford to go to college. Like I, I was like broke. I was like bussing tables at a restaurant. And um, so I actually got up got into the industry because I, I started like walking into businesses asking for a job. And like literally like the first one that I asked, they were like, um, well, we don't do internships, but we'll interview you for a full-time position. And I did terrible on the interview. I did so bad. And, um, and I still landed the position because the guy who works night shift got food poisoning and he was out for like two weeks and they needed somebody immediately. Oh my gosh. So right, right place, right time is really what it was. And what was that first position? Like, what did you get hired for, even in such uh, intriguing circumstances? I was actually a sock analyst, which okay. was insane to me because on my first day, I literally asked them, like, what's a sock? Yeah. <laughs> um, which is really just funny, but I actually love it now. Yeah. So, I mean, like, tell us about that kind of progression. Like, after you learned what a sock was, did were you mainly doing, were you, like, self-taught? Did you have some training on that job? Like, what was that like? Yeah, they had some on-job training, but it was very short because, like I said, they needed somebody on shift immediately. Um, so, after I was trained up, it was self-study. Like, you know, I was expected to pass some, some certifications to prove I could do the work, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and I did. I passed them all. And then I started college using the money that I was getting from that job. But I still dropped out because of COVID and it seemed like it wasn't necessary. But I ended up going back to school at Sands um, years nice. later, like not years later, like six months later, I re-enrolled at Sands. But uh -huh. so that's how... What was your question? Sorry, I got, got off topic. No, no, you're totally answering it. I mean, I, I want to hear about that journey. So it's like... Went, went down the college path briefly, decided on SANS, and then are you, you're currently a SOC analyst as well? Um, so I'm actually, uh, well, so I own a company called Blueberry Security. Mm -hmm. um, we just, well, I, I founded it. Um, we build SOCs for large enterprises. Um, we also do it for, we do some stuff for SMBs like incident response services and SOC as a service. Um, but mostly we do consulting work on how to build a good sock. Like if you are a company that has never had a sock before, maybe you've outsourced it and now you want to bring it internal, then you can hire me and I will help you do that and make it sustainable. Gotcha. Okay. So what is, what's like your pitch? Like, let's say there's a business owner and they know that they need to have some kind of security in place, but like, they don't even know, they don't speak the same language, basically. You know, they don't have all the jargon. They don't know what they're asking for. How do you go about explaining to someone like why they need a SOC? 
Um, so I would say that typically the people with I work with, I work with, um, I don't usually have to pitch them because they they have already had one. So when I was trying to market towards SMB, that this was an issue I was running into, um, and so that's why I made the decision not to not to pitch them because it's hard to convince somebody that socks will actually catch something. In reality, it seems like a giant noise machine to most people. But my pitch would be like. I think the same as every other salesperson in this in this industry is like it's not uh, it's not a matter of uh, if but when so like it's always going to happen when is it going to happen is the question we need to answer um, and I think people ignore that advice so um, usually my advice now is just remember me when you get breached and you know call me and we'll help you out but a lot of people like. Eighty um, percent of companies will spend their security budget or create a security budget post breach. They will not do it proactively. Right. So that's, you know, if you're interested in marketing, and I know you're a social media manager, obviously. So um, that's, you know, if you're trying to tar- target uh, new customers, that's how I would do it personally. Yeah, I totally hear that. I feel like the the pitch to be proactive does fall on deaf ears, like more often than not. Like people only know just how much they can lose after they've lost it. Yeah, that's a definitely. Well, you know, and the other thing is, is like a lot of salespeople will use this like fear scare tactic to get people to buy. Well, if you don't buy our product, you'll be breached. And like every cybersecurity vendor is saying that. So it's not really a very strong pitch. Totally. And then I think a lot of, in my experience too, a lot of the the business owners, like they don't actually know what a breach would really mean for them. They know that like yeah, that's data true. loss is bad, but they don't really have a good idea of what that means. Yeah. So, you know, from someone who's who's come up in such a, uh, a non-linear way and has insight into, you know, a lot of these like problems that businesses are having, what are your top security concerns? Like what is top of mind for you these days? Um, so I would say that actually like a lot of the default security rules and alerts are good enough for SMBs and even medium, medium sized businesses. Um, so my security concerns are more around like how we structure a team to Ooh. operate in a SOC. Like, are, you know, do, like how are we treating our people? How are we encouraging them to um, pay attention to the alerts we're working? And then in those alerts that we work, are you digging deeper, right? Are you just completing a ticket or are you going to look through all the details? Like the amount of security. So in my entire career, I think I've received maybe two incidents that came from a SOC, two in five years. Um, The majority of security incidents come from other sources. And um, a lot of it for me has always come from threat hunting and digging deeper, which means that if you are a SOC analyst and you want to stand out, it's incredibly easy because you choose what to find. Um, And and that's what I try to teach to my people. And what I really preach to organizations is if you are trying to be proactive, it doesn't just mean completing alerts. It means digging deeper. Definitely. So as far as like threat hunting goes, is are you also self-taught in that kind of sphere? Yeah, I, I kind of uh, got into that while I was being a SOC analyst, like um, playing with data and fi- finding cool things. And now I know like where to look. Like, 
you know, an obvious one is um, if, if I go into a new organization, I'll go to like CrowdStrike or their EDR tool and I'll just search, uh, I'll just um, search password because the majority of time there's going to be somebody in that organization who has a list of passwords on their desktop. That is an easy win for me to show off how good I am at what I do. And it's an easy win for the company to have a smaller attack surface. Gotcha. Totally. For someone like, I feel like you're one of the big advantages that you might have that I don't have personally is knowing what the, what the, so like, obviously you have this unique way that you've gotten into cyber. And obviously a lot of the journeys that people take to get here are, are unique. Like there, there's no, you know, typical path, but for someone who is maybe a similar age to you or who's like in high school right now as well, do you have advice for them, how to get into it, where to start with threat hunting, where to start with like their own self-knowledge? Yeah, I would say don't bother with a degree. They're useless in cyber. If you have one, it's not an awful thing, but it's not something that's going to set you apart that much, in my opinion. Um, if you would like to get a real world experience and show it on your resume, you should build labs like you could do a malware lab, you could build a sim, um, you could do things like that. Like anything that where you are working with the tools and you can show that in a project description on your resume, that will look really good and much better than, well, I have a four year degree in cyber because so many people do have that degree and it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. So for you, like when you're hiring and when you're trying to find people, is, is that part of your journey as well? You're looking at really at what they what the tools they have listed in the projects? Yes. I would say that I'll be like, oh, they have a degree. OK, that's not a big deal. But if they if they show the projects, I'll be like, OK, this person has worked with a sim before. They're going to know how to use Splunk to do a search and they're going to know how to find the information they need. They know how to analyze code clearly because they've done it that's so much better. And you can show that stuff on a resume. Like some people are like, well, it's not any job experience. Can I still put it? And the answer is yes, you can. And you should. Gotcha. Yeah. Nice. That's a very, actually speaking of proactive, that's proactive in terms of like getting the skills under your belt. Yeah. I'd love to hear that. Um, so yeah. one thing I also wanted to ask you kind of similar topic to like your top security concerns what do you think is something that, especially from the, the, you know, if you're consulting with businesses, what's something that you wish people knew more about? What's something that people are not talking about enough in this industry? Uh, something people are not talking about enough in this industry. Um, I, again, I think it's, it's, it's more about like a people management issue than like dealing with threats. Like um, I, I think everybody is always like, and I know this is coming from AI and I know that they post it and it comes straight from AI, but they all say like something about the threat landscape on like, how do you respond to new threats? And like, the reality is you don't have to respond to new threats. You have to respond to like, like if you have to respond to the threats that face your attack surface. So like if you are an SMB and your only public facing asset is like, and I assume, you know, SMB means, but it means yeah. small business. But let's say like your only public facing asset is like your login page to your email. Then the only thing you have to worry about is making sure you have MFA. But it, it really, you know, it, my point is that like, I think that people try to overcomplicate it um, mm -hmm. in the same way, like I was saying in your sock, like, don't worry about how many different types of threats they are. W make sure that your people are analyzing things. 
Yeah. Because that's what a good talk analyst does. They solve problems. And if you can do that, then everything else will come easily. Like gotcha. there's so many different tools that have like good alerts or like so many people t- that are doing like threat detection engineering and like those are great. But again, most important thing is treating our people well, like go back to the basics. Love and what I mean that. by that is most SOC analysts are burnt out. They, they are not doing a good job. That was going to be my, my next question is like, how, how do we combat that? Because obviously, you know, you're someone who um, is pretty, I mean, you're, you're crushing it. You know, you've got your own company and, and you're, you're focused on people already. But a lot of the stats that I see in this industry are about how not only SOC analysts, but also like all the way up to CISOs and like the homies who are, who are doing a lot of the organization and controlling from the top down are so burnt out that we're just running through people. You, you, the retention is like six months. What's your, what's your thought on that? Like, how, how do you solve for that? I think the problem is, is that people need to feel challenged at work. And again, that comes back to completing tickets, right? Like if your job is just to like fill in a form every day, you're going to get bored. Yeah. Yeah. It's not fulfilling. But if you're catching cool things, then it's more exciting in the same way. Like, do you have career progression opportunities? You know, like, are they like for me, um, I would I would pay my pay for security plus for my employees or just some kind of training budget yeah. On top of that, like they want to work with somebody technical so they can learn from them. Um, a lot of times, like I'll have somebody who does like like a lot of my pe- my senior people, they may have some experience in like um, threat hunting or threat intelligence. And so we have some projects where it's like, okay, let's let's spin up a tour node on our let's let's put up a VM where we can actually study um, criminal behavior and see what the, what websites are they going to because yeah. there there are ways to do that with the tour exit node where you can. Um, decrypt the traffic and you you can't see exactly what they're doing but you can at least see the onion links um and that's that's the sort of thing that i'm talking about where if you give people more opportunities to learn they will want to stay there because most people in this career are not doing it for the money i mean if you look at like if you want money and you're in cybersecurity, i mean go be a criminal like yeah right oh gosh um and i think SOC analysts are here to do a good job, not just SOC analysts, like everybody, right? Like we want to stop crime. Yeah. Ethics are a part of it. Yeah. I totally hear that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But I think like one, one important thing as well is like having one-on-ones with your employees and like understanding what does this specific person need? Because every person's different and listening to what they want uh, will always like, it's, it's like, making friends, except it's like a little, you know, a little, not quite a friend, but if you take care of them like a friend, then they'll take care of your business. You're reminding me of a lot of the the language that I see around companies that I really like, where uh, they promote an empathy first or empathy led way of being, which I really like, because that's, I mean, that's exactly what you're talking about in, in different words. Like you're considering this person a human being and listening to, to what they're saying. That's the, that's where you start. That's where you start like all the time. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and I'm, and the only reason I'm saying that is because it makes a better team. Like it's not, you know, I do care about my people, but I'm not saying this because I care about my people. I'm saying this because this is how you actually stop a breach. Yeah. Right. Unified team. Totally. Um, 
that's fascinating. And it's good to hear the kind of different angles and, and perspective on that one too. Cause I think, yeah, some people approach it from the, this is how we retain people. Some people approach it from the, like, this is how we hire people. But if you're saying this is actually like what makes a better team, that's the basis of business. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Love that. Um, Okay, uh, so I want to, kind of, if we can, delve into a little bit more technical questions too. Um, one of the questions that I like to ask people is, how has your cybersecurity toolkit evolved in the last five years? Um, but for you, I feel like you, the last five years have has been most of your career. Is that right? Yeah, I've only been in cyber for five years. Um, so I would say the way my toolkit evolved is like when I first started, I was using Alien Vault. Um, Alien Vault is, I don't know, I guess, I, am I allowed to say this? Um, it's its not its not my favorite tool. I would say overall, it's not very useful. I didn't understand how to like write reports. Um, I was using like Zoho to communicate with clients, which is like really, like it's like a weird, weird practice. It's not a good case management tool. Um, so I actually um, ended up, once I changed to more of, because I worked at a few larger companies and I worked for federal government, once you do that, like your toolkit is so much nicer. Like you have like Splunk, CrowdStrike, like Sentinel One, all these like cool tools, um, like Zeke and Suricata. And one thing that I thought because of that experience was like, oh, proprietary is always better. I always want to use like Splunk and CrowdStrike. And that's not true. Like eventually I learned that the best way to operate in this industry is with free open source tools because you will save a ton of money. And that's what security is about is cybersecurity is about saving money, nothing else. Like, yes, stopping breaches, but it's a monetary risk to the business. Right. And if you can find ways to reduce costs, then you're actually being even more proactive than buying fancy tools to stop breaches. Totally. So do you have some favorite open source tools that you now use? Um, yeah, so our go-to is Waza for our SIM. So that's what we'll spin up for clients. Um, but we, so we try to integrate with whatever they have on hand because everybody has their preference on tools. And so we can work with anything, but but we always say like Zeke, Suricata, um, Waza, um, like I, I use Jira for case management, like Jira service management. I think yeah. that's a really good tool because it's responsive and it yeah. works and it's simple, not expensive. <laughs> Sounds ideal. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that I feel like um, frequently comes up when I ask people what's changed about their toolkit is that often people mention the impact of AI, especially in the past year. Hot take on that. Have, have you been experimenting with any AI tools? Were you ahead of the curve and knew all about it beforehand? Where are you at? I was not ahead of the curve. Um, I would say I do embrace AI, but I don't think it's going to change the game of cybersecurity that much mm-hmm. in the way that um, you can't automate things when when people are trying to bypass security, you want to have that manual check. That's the whole purpose of having a SOC is so somebody can manually validate and prove that this was not a bad thing. Um, People use AI now to write reports, which will save a ton of time for a SOC analyst, like greatly reducing the amount of time it takes to write those reports. That's great. 
Um, one thing though, I think that like if you're using um, like chat GPT, it comes with a lot of fluff and I don't like that in reports. And if I see that, I will call them out on it. Um, I think like tools like Microsoft Copilot is like a new one um, yep. and other like AI based security tools. Um, I would say they are going to impact the market significantly and it's going to change the way we do business. But I, I think that there's always going to be this manual aspect of what we do because that's the whole purpose of it. Fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. I was speaking with uh, Ross Hallelujah the other day. He that is that new um, book out called Cyber for Builders. Um, really smart guy, um, and the book is is fabulous. And one thing he pointed out about uh, the impact of of Gen AI was that if you're using it to do things like generate a bunch of LinkedIn posts. Yeah, it'll save you time. That's a very efficient way to use that tool. But if you're doing what he says he does, which is trying to clarify his own thought process and solve problems, Gen AI is not the tool that's going to help you do that, which I really liked. You know, it's this perspective on welcoming the idea of Gen AI into business because it's probably it's that's what's happening anyway, but not saying this is a stand-in for any of the other tasks we we need to be doing, which I really liked. Yeah. So when I started writing for LinkedIn, I was actually using AI to do it. And at the time, like that's like right when AI started like making things change Uh and it worked. I mean, it got me a ton of views. But um, as I continued writing, I actually ended up choosing a manual way to do it because I was wasting time correcting AI posts when I could have just spent that time like um, manually writing. And I actually generated... um, I generated 2 million views on LinkedIn from like probably like 20 posts. Like I was generating like a hundred K views per post. Wow. Which that was, was when you were insane. doing it manually? Yeah. Manually. Yeah. I gotcha. Um, and I, I think that that's um, with AI, I did something similar, but I think if I did it today, people could easily tell and yeah. they would not be interested in reading it. Yeah. I hear that. I, I agree with you about, about the fluff and the corrections that you have to make. And, and these days, yeah, you can. It, it's pretty apparent in my experience, especially on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. Not Anytime I read but... the evolving threat landscape, I'm like, this is from ChatGPT. Or or even um, the rapidly evolving threat landscape. You got to get that. Yeah, that's exactly that in there. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I mean, it is rapidly evolving, but like, so is everything. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay. Um, I want to ask you, so a lot of the conversations that I have, I end up asking people for um, a kind of like a down to earth cybersecurity tip as well, because a lot of the conversations I have in sort of my community are, are B2B conversations. But in terms of like B2C, let's say you're talking to your grandmother or, you know, wh- whoever else is in your life like that. Do you have a, a tip that you, you wish the average Joe on the street knew something that you could communicate to like everyone all at once? Probably just MFA is more important than a strong password. Um, and you should always use MFA. But to be honest, maybe the other advice for the average Joe is use a password manager mm. and don't store your passwords on your desktop or write them down. Like, But honestly, I think writing them down is maybe even a little bit more secure than just like putting them on your desktop because it's, I don't know. I mean, not that many people are in my workspace. I think that that's one thing that's like over, um, like people are like, 
don't 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 let anybody touch your computer they'll steal it or don't leave the country with your work computer they'll steal it and like do you think that like other countries are just filled with criminals i mean like if i go to france i don't think there's somebody's just going oh she she works for the government i need, I need to get her laptop like that's yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you for sure. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to MFA, do you have a, a a preference there? Would you go biometrics? Would you go SMS? Do you have a, a strong tip there too? No, no, no preference. I mean, um, no, anything. Um, anything. I think if you have a smartphone and you're approving logins, then that's probably better. Um, unless somebody's doing like a some kind of like, there there are ways to, without getting into details that can still be bypassed, but yeah. Well, that's, that's kind of why I ask is because like, I feel sometimes MFA gets presented as this, this magic bullet, but I think sometimes people don't really know, I guess the details of, of what they're talking about in terms of what can be intercepted and why and when, right? So if, because if, like I've heard a lot about SMS uh, you know, like scams so where somebody can get your phone number and they can redirect the text that's the, got the OTP, that kind of thing. Yeah. So there's something called SIM swaps. So like yeah. if somebody um, steals your SIM card or redirects your, your service to their phone, then they could intercept your, your one-time password or your, your, you know, your MFA. But the thing about that is there's always going to be another threat your goal as an individual is not to be unhackable. It is to be less hackable than the person sitting next to you. Because if you are slightly more secure, they will be breached first. Yep. As as kind of like slightly depressing as that is, I completely agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Totally hear that. Yeah. Um, wonderful. Okay. So uh, two final questions, because um, I want to respect your time here. So because I found you through LinkedIn and I knew that you'd, you had made such a splash in terms of the material that you were writing, I was wondering, how do you find community within InfoSec, within cybersecurity? Hmm. I, LinkedIn's my community. So I don't, so to be honest, I don't go to any conferences I don't talk to that many people outside of LinkedIn. Um, so I would say LinkedIn really is my community. Um, yeah, yeah I, cool. I, I would love to go to a conference or something. I think those are really great. I just haven't been to one yet. Gotcha. I mean, COVID interrupted so much as well. It's like, yeah. Um, yeah. So when it comes to LinkedIn, do people mainly find you and kind of reach out? Or there are there any groups that you'd recommend or pages that you like, that kind of thing? Yeah, I would say most of the like communication I'm doing starts as like inbound first. So, like, um, I actually don't send out connection requests anymore because I get so many. Like, I have yeah. like 300 to go through right now, and I haven't even written a post. Um, and then usually people have something to say when they connect with me, and then they'll start a conversation, and I, and I always reply on LinkedIn. Um, I don't, I'm not really in any groups. Um, I would, I guess like Blueberry Security is a group that like attracts so much like attention great love that for you yeah <laughs> sounds yeah. like it's thriving yeah <laughs> wonderful yeah, okay, so as our um as our final question i like to ask something a little bit more fun um and my question for you is if you could have any superpower to improve cybersecurity, what would that superpower be and why that's a good one um <laughs> 
I don't know, maybe like telepathic communication would be good. Um, I, I see that's a hard one because like cybersecurity, maybe the power to like, yeah, like read thoughts or like tell where the power to tell where if you're talking to somebody online, then you could always tell where they are in the physical world. Ooh, uh-huh. I like that. I like that tie in of the, the geographical, you've got like a geographic telepathic. Well, because like you have like geo tracking tools, obviously yeah. online, like if you have an IP, but like it doesn't tell you like where they are, but like if you could go and like find them, people would always be prosecuted. That'd be so much better. Love it. Fighting crime one superpower at a time. Yeah. Nice. Um, well, thank you so much for joining me um, this week. It's been lovely to talk to you. Um, if people want to find you on the internet and find Blueberry, where can they do that? Um, go look me up on LinkedIn or um, blueberrysecurity.net uh, is my website. We are working on improving it. Uh, so it may change in the near future, not the URL, but the way it looks. Nice. Love it. We love a rebrand. Great. Yes. Um, well, Quinn, thank you so much for joining me on Cybersecurity Stand Up, and uh, we'll see you next time out in cyberspace. Yeah, talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.